0: You're listening to Christ is King, all of Him and all of life, from Rivertown Church in Brattleboro, Vermont. This podcast is part of our ongoing mission to be disciples who make disciples of Jesus for the glory of God and the joy of all peoples. For more information, visit rivertownchurch.org. May the Lord bless you in the hearing of His word. Please turn with me to Psalm 96. I didn't know that's where our reading of the law was coming from, but how fitting as it's where we will be this morning as we are in our second to last sermon in our Christ is King series. We've looked at his lordship over us individually and us as a church and over the nations, over the cultures and governments of the world. And today we're talking about Christ being king over all peoples. That is really good news. And you're going to hear that in this psalm, that this psalm is full of exclamatory joy because Christ is the king of kings and the ruler of the kings of the earth. And that is good news for all peoples everywhere and can be good news for all peoples everywhere. David actually penned this psalm as he's dedicating this tabernacle that He had prepared for the return of the Ark of of the Covenant where the presence of God would again be with the people of God. And he's rejoicing at the presence of God now being among his people and calling the people of God to come before him and to worship him with joy and with gladness because the Lord is the great God above all gods and he is worthy of our worship. The psalm is messianic in nature like so many of them are where David is pointing prophetically ahead to the times of the Messiah when Jesus would secure a great salvation for his people giving us reason and opportunity to sing this song with greater joy and with greater meaning. The psalm also models what it commands so we're going to see in the psalm the reason that we have to sing to him, to ascribe greatness to him, to declare his goodness. And in calling us to those things, the song is a song ascribing goodness and glory to God and greatness to God, and it is declaring his salvation. And in that way, it addresses one of our greatest problems or our deficiencies in worship. Because we are all prone to forget the Lord, to forget the gospel, to lose sight of who he is. And because of that, because we lose sight of the magnitude of who God is and what Christ has done for us in the gospel, just in our daily living, then our worship falls short of giving him the glory that is due to him. And so we're prone to offer him worship in ways that are comfortable to us, ways that maybe you've developed a habit of worshiping him ways that are more in line with your feelings rather than worshiping him from faith as he's prescribed. And in doing so, I think we can have a lot of muted joy, and I wonder if that's you coming in this morning, where our worship of God doesn't, our view of God doesn't feel too high and exalted, and therefore our worship of him doesn't either, and our joy is not either, and we're just kind of limping along we know that he's good we know that he's worthy and I'm sitting there lying in my bed last night and the Lord's just hitting this with to to me fresh that a lot of my joy has been muted because whether it's ministry discouragements or other things in life have weighed more to me than the glory of God and so my joy has been muted and my worship has not been worthy of him and so if that's you this morning, then we have a treat in coming to Psalm 96 together. John Newton, a writer of Amazing Grace, said, When I see thee as thou art, O God, I'll praise thee as I ought. That's what we need to pray for this morning as we come to God's word, that we would see him as he is and therefore praise him as we ought. And so into our great need, God's word speaks. And I ask that you stand in honor of the reading of God's word, if you're physically able, as we turn to Psalm 96. So let's stand as we read. As we read, I want you to pay attention to the joy and the fear that are present in this song at the same time. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Let's pray. Father, Lord, would you please come by your spirit and open the eyes of our hearts to see you. Lord, we want to ascribe to you the glory that you are due. We want our song to be full-throated and full of joy. And we want to be faithful to proclaim your goodness. So I pray that you would help us to see you in a way that calls for a response that is worthy of you. Lord, would you give us your gracious aid now, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So the the heart of this text, where we're going today, is because the Lord Jesus reigns over all the earth, then let us give him the glory due his name, with holy lives, with joyful song, with faithful proclamation. So first, this song gives us nested in, if we, if we go past all these imperatives, right? Right out of the gates, we're told, sing to him. And then later, ascribe to him. And then we're to declare things. We're gonna get to those responses. But what is this song a response to? What are these imperative commands? What are they a response to? So this is where we have to start. Great is the Lord. And we see his greatness in multiple ways in this text. First, He's great as our holy creator. You look at verses four through six. He says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord, he made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. And so this is the great call of this song is that the Lord alone he is God. Strength and righteousness are his alone. In the previous Psalm it says the Lord is a great God and the great King above all gods. He is the self-existent and uncreated one. Everyone and everything has been made through him and for him. He has all power and majesty. This text says, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, beauty and strength that belong to him. So in a world that is constantly seeking after strength and majesty and beauty and glory, all strength and all beauty and all majesty and all glory belong to the Lord. There is no power in heaven and on earth that is not a gifted power and a sustained power by almighty God. He knows everything. I marvel at this when I think about how complicated one person can be. Myself, not even understanding myself, Uh, not all the time understanding my wife sometimes, not all the time understanding all my children. And then you go to someplace like an airport and you see everybody walking around and you just think, he knows them. He knows they're rising up and they're lying down. He's intimately acquainted with all of their ways. There is no knowledge in heaven on on earth that does not belong to him, that he does not know, and he is everywhere. So any, anyone, and the world does, anyone can claim that their God is God. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day, believing in literally like Viking mythology, and that Thor and people were actually gods who created things. A lot of people have belief systems where they ascribe deity, strength, glory to something outside of them because we are worshipers and we know that God is there. But because men hate the God who is God, we replace him with lesser gods. And the Psalmist is here to say that the gods of the world are worthless idols, but the Lord, he made the heavens. Now I was thinking about back to message what we did on the heavens declaring the glory of God and how sometimes I think that gets lost on us there are nights in the winter time when I'll step outside in West Brattleboro and I feel like I can see some stars probably not as much as Elijah can see but I think about what a parable it is that the haze of the lights of man all the circumstances of man all the stuff inhibits our view Of glory and majesty of the heavens declaring the glory of God but you step outside on a cool and clear night without the distractions and you get alone and you let the heavens declare to you the one who made these he is God and he alone is God and so this song is saying Worship the Lord and tremble before him all the earth. You are accountable to him. Whoever the maker of all these things is, he is holy and you are accountable to him. He is worthy of your face down worship. And we need to hear that into a world that is telling everyone to find their truth within. As if this universe, these heavens are declaring the glory of God out there, but you can find The God who is and the truth that is somehow inside yourself. And the psalmist is saying to that, no, 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 no. That is worthless idolatry. There is no truth in here. Truth is the Lord Jesus Christ, the maker of heaven and earth, and everyone and everything is accountable to him. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, We know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So that is the message Everyone that you know exists for God and they exist through Jesus Christ for his glory and for his praise. And so as the previous Psalm says, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. He is great by virtue of being our holy creator. But second, you see, he's great by virtue of being our strong savior. Sp- spite of the fact that All the earth is created for God and exists for him and is called to worship him with fear and with trembling. No one does. And we had desperate need of salvation for our great rebellion and sin against God. And so it is this God, the one who from eternity dwelt in majesty and strength. When it says splendor and majesty are before him, strength and beauty are in his sanctuary, that's talking about the Lord Jesus. And he left splendor and majesty And emptied himself and humbled himself in obedience to the Father to the point of death, even on a cross. So that by his righteousness and his sacrifice, sinful humanity, who sought after worthless idols, could receive his righteousness and the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. So you go to verses 2 and 3. This is the content of the song. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. I want you to see from verse 3 that his glory and his marvelous works are the same thing. He's, he's saying the same thing paralleled with each other, so you would see that his glory has been put on display in his marvelous works, and none more clearly than we see in the gospel. You can see this same language in John. Chapter 2, verse 11, when it says that the wedding, when he turned the water into wine, this was the first of his signs and where he manifested his glory. So these miraculous signs, these miracles that Jesus did, were manifestations of his glory and his greatness. And I just read through the Gospel of John. I mean, I feel like we probably say this after reading every book of the Bible, but can I just commend it to you for a slow, worshipful read? It is just one great manifestation of the glory of Christ, who is full of grace and truth. It says, we have seen his glory, that of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then it goes on to describe his glory through his miracles, through his teaching, through his compassion on sinners, through his zeal to the Father going through and flipping tables of people who were committing idolatry in the temple of God. Throughout the gospel account, you see strength and the majesty of the king on full display. I think this is what stood out to me the most in this reading is that he's so strong in righteousness. He, he does exactly what the Father tells him to do and says exactly what the father tells him to say and he does it all with our weakness and being tempted like we are but he does all of it without sin it is a marvel of strength and then he he looks directly at those who would charge him with crimes or would arrest him and he says no one takes my life from me I give it you would have no authority unless it had been given to you by my father all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and what he chose to do with that authority is to lay his life down in the place of sinful people so that we can know peace with God. It is a glory of glories. It's why in heaven we'll be singing forever honor and glory to the Lamb because his glory is clearly seen in that he came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many all of this you read john 14 15 16 17 It is glorious truth he says things like the father loves you with the same love that he loves the son with he came to secure that for you that he came to give his life so that you could enjoy the same relationship that he has with his own father and he says to us that he's loved us with the same love that the father loves him with. And then he's praying to the father and he says, Father, I am praying that they may be with me in the glory that I had before the world began. That is salvation. We who are far from God and strangers and aliens to the covenants and promises of God and children of wrath like the rest of mankind, he says, Father, this is my prayer And he's going to the cross to secure it, that they may be with me forever in my glory that I had with you before the world began. And all of it as a gift of unmerited grace. And so it's worth singing about. Tell of his salvation. Sing of his marvelous works. It is all grace. None of it merited. It was not changed by your week this week. And so your song doesn't change. He's not, he's not showering you with more or less love based on how you performed this week. This was him saving you to the uttermost while you were dead in your sin and alienated from the life of God. So the reasons this psalm is giving us, he is great as our creator, he is great as our savior, and he is great as our righteous ruler. Look at verse 10 psalmist sings, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established, shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad, let the earth rejoice, let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then he moves from commending creation to sing to saying, it will sing. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. Why? For he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. And this song is copied almost in entire, entirety from 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 23 through 33. You can go look it up there. And the only part that's not in that song are these last two lines where he has to be drawing emphasis. If the song's the exact same, but then he adds two lines, this is what he's saying. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. This is a call for us to respond to the reign of Christ. This is the reason why I chose this psalm to talk about the reign of Christ over all peoples. He says, declare among the nations, the Lord reigns. And it's in this past tense of He has reigned. He's reigning right now and He will reign forever. That He is coming and He will reign. And that's the emphasis of this portion of the psalm. Not the emphasis is not here mainly. We'll talk about this next week that he's coming to judge the wickedness of the world. That's true. The, the judgment of Christ of the wickedness of the world will be part of the salvation of the righteous. But here the emphasis is mainly on the government of Christ when he comes and establishes his rule and his reign and he reigns in the new earth with righteousness and with faithfulness. And it is pointing to us glorying in the rule of Christ after his enemies have been made his footstool. This is David singing about the promise that God had given him. We see this in Jeremiah 23, verse 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. He shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called The Lord is our righteousness. And so this psalm is infused with hope because this is the great hope and the longing of all those who have been redeemed by Christ, of all those who can say now, the Lord is my righteousness, is that the Lord Jesus is coming and he's going to set up his actual rule and reign here on the earth where he will make all things new And there will be no more sin, no more guilt, no more suffering, no more dying. And there will only be life everlasting in his glory with him reigning in righteousness and in faithfulness. And we will be at peace. He says, you will dwell securely in the land and there will be one great king worshiped by everyone there. This is our hope. This is why scripture says, fix your hope continually on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. His is a kingdom that shall never be removed. That's what it means when he says the world is established. The, this new world that he's bringing about where the Lord reigns, it'll be established and it will never be moved. His kingdom is the final kingdom and he will establish it at last on the earth and we will reign with him forever. And so how should we respond to this God and this great salvation. Well, first, am jumping gonna jump into verse seven through nine where he says, "'Ascribe to him glory and strength. "'Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. "'Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. "'Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. "'Bring an offering and come into his courts. "'Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. "'Tremble before him all the earth.'" As we draw near to God, this is what I was talking about in the intro, where I think we get away from singing and declaring God's goodness is because we don't start here. As we come to God, we must make sure that it, it, we are coming to this God. Not our own version of him, not God as changed and formed into our own image, but God as he actually is. You'll remember the working definition of the fear of the Lord that I've given us is living before God like he is who he is. That's what it means to fear God. I actually live my life in his presence like he is the holy God that he is. I actually forgive other people like he is the forgiving God that he is. I actually love my neighbor as myself because I have been loved by God. I actually speak prophetically to the world around me because he is holy. And he's coming to judge the living and the dead. We live before God like he is who he is. And one of the things that that means, probably at the bottom, is that we live before him with an awe of who he is and what he's done. Hebrews talks about offering to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And so when I'm truly living before God in the fear of him, I'm in awe of his transcendence and his righteousness and his majesty, and in response, I've got a faith-filled humility before him, not a casual approach to him not a inflated view of my own righteousness and not a lackluster heart towards obedience where I just live life as it happens to me and just trust him that he's good and he understands that's not living our lives in the fear of God and so this psalm is saying look at who he is look at what he's done he is great and greatly to be praised and so with your life Live like it. Ascribe to him the glory and strength that are due him. And this ascribing language is this giving. It's it's giving language. That's why he says, "Give to the Lord, families of the people, this glory and strength." Ascribe to the Lord. Give him the glory due his name. And then he says in verse eight, "Bring an offering and come into his courts." Now in Israel there were multiple types of offerings. And most notably, you'll probably heard much about a burnt offering that was given for the atonement for sin. That offering has been made. Christ has offered himself once and for all as a final sacrifice. And so we're not coming into his presence with offerings to atone for guilt or to atone for sin. But Israel also had thank offerings that were voluntary offerings of worship that were given in gratitude for who God is and what he's done. And so Spurgeon says about this verse, atonement already being made, all that is left is thank offerings. Let not these be forgotten. When we ascribe to God the glory that is due him, we bring an offering. We know elsewhere in the Psalms, The psalmist says, God, you don't desire burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And these offerings of God you will not despise. So what God wants from us are humble hearts where we bring him all that we are. We're bringing ourselves. So as we come before him, we enter into his courts daily. We come before his word and it's with the requisite fear that is due him, with fear and with trembling. And we bring our hearts, not our distracted worship, not us and our other cares and concerns. We, we get alone with God and we bring him ourselves. As we come before him in the gathering on the Lord's day, we are entering into worship of God with his people and we are bringing ourselves so that we may bless him, so that we may ascribe to him the glory due his name. We offer to him now through the week our spirit-wrought obedience, our prayers, our praise, our giving, our love for one another. So we, we come to him and he calls us. This is the second greatest commandment, that you love one another. And so we come on Sundays into his courts, and one of the offerings that we bring to him is love for one another. I'm not here just to receive from the Lord. I'm here to ascribe to you glory and strength, and I want to give to you obedience. And so I want to come together on the Lord's Day. I want to encourage my brothers and sisters in Christ. I was so encouraged this week by a brother who lived this out. When when financial struggles were closing in, his response is to give to the Lord because he wants to trust him. And so in the the face of circumstances closing in on ascribing to the Lord glory and strength, and it seems like glory and strength might be found in, or provision might be found in money and resources, he says, no, I'm going to ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, and I'm going to bring before him the offering that he's required of me because I trust him and he's good. And my faith was stoked. Verse 9 is clear, like this, this gift that we bring to the Lord. It's not just here, it's lives of holiness. So our scripture is so clear that we cleanse ourselves of defilement of flesh and spirit and pursue holiness in the fear of God. We come to his word and his word and his spirit, convict us of sin, and we repent in the fear of God and we give to him our obedience. This is to be our life on repeat. God, have my life. Have my whole heart. And I want you to, I told you to pay attention to this. Note how this song is full of joy and references to the fear of God. Maybe before this point, you think those two things would be mutually exclusive, like walking in the fear of God like you're terrified of him, and joy in God would somehow be two opposite ends of the spectrum, two different denominations. One emphasizes the word of God, one emphasizes the spirit of God. But these two things go hand in hand, where if you do not have a proper fear of God, your joy in God is going to be superficial or muted. It won't be real. It'll be manufactured or conjured up. But when you're mindful of who God is and all of his transcendent holiness and you're mindful of all that he's done for you in Christ and mindful of who you are, then your gratitude soars and so does your joy. So the greater your fear of God and conception of him, the greater your joy in God and your worship of him. This looks like considering the weight of his glory and transcendence with the reality of our acceptance in Christ. You remember those two things, then your joy will soar. And you'll have a song to sing, which is the second command. It's the first in the Psalms, second, I'm giving you today. So we have to start with ascribing to the Lord glory and strength and living before him like he is who he is. But then he calls us to sing of his salvation. So this living before God with the fear of God and worshiping him with trembling should lead us to a joy that overflows in song. Now this psalm itself is a song and the first command in the song is for all of creation to join in the singing of it. And notice with all these commands, these are not commands just to believers. These are commands to all the earth. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Tremble before him, all the earth. He is worthy of your song and your worship. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. The psalmist starts by saying, sing to the Lord a new song. That's pointing to the day when we'll have a new song for a new covenant when Christ would usher in a new reason to sing by the blood of his cross but it's also a call for God's people to keep expressing their worship and their love and their adoration for God with new melodies and new expressions of gratitude and wonder and joy. This is where, going back to where we started, I think I see maybe the most where people would be prone to worship God according to their feeling or according to what's comfortable for them rather than by faith as God has prescribed. I just want to draw attention to our church that this is a command from God. Sing. And maybe you've grown up attending worship gatherings and so the singing of the saints is so normal to you. Maybe you've not sung around other people and so other people's singing is so normal to you. But, For people that walk into a gathering, coming into a room full of singing people is weird. Is it not? When do you walk into a group of people and you just see everybody singing? Now, a concert, maybe. But we're talking about offering praise and worship to an unseen God and everybody's singing. But it is a command from God and he says it blesses him. Bless his name with your song. And so we're called to sing, and we are singing verses now that as the Lord comes and as he establishes his reign on the earth, all of creation jumps in the song and jumps in the chorus because who can hold it back? So until then, we've got this groaning, this longing, this creation waiting for the redemption of the sons of God, but soon all creation will burst forth in the rocks that would cry out if people didn't praise him. We'll join in anyways because the Lord comes and he's going to establish his reign. Until then, singing is an act of faith and confidence because even in the midst of great sorrow and trials, we know that the Lord reigns and so we're singing in faith. And I'll never forget the first time I was at a funeral for a friend Uh, whose mom had passed away. And I saw her and her siblings, arms around their dad, and they're singing, It is well with my soul, with arms raised. And I I wept. And I I weep every time I see anybody going through suffering and trial, and they're praising Jesus anyways, because they know he is good. The Lord is kind and perfect in all of his ways and just in all of his works. And I know that whatever this is, it's not unrighteousness in him. And he's worthy of my song. He has showcased his love for me at the cross. And I know that if he did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, then how will he not also with him freely give us all things? And he's coming. He's going to make all things new and right. And so until then, I'm gonna sing. It's an act of faith. It is an act of hope because we know that he will reign and soon sin and death and pain will be distant memories and all we will know is fullness of joy in the presence of Christ. And so we believe that day is coming and it's soon and so we sing now because he's given us his presence now. He's given us his Holy Spirit now as a down payment of what is to come and so we sing like those who are traveling through to Zion. So let's trust him and sing through. And then lastly, I don't want to miss, I pointed this out earlier, but these commands are not just to the people of God. You look at verse one, sing to the Lord all the earth. Verse seven, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Verse nine, Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. This is really important for us because there is no song in the mouth of the world apart from them repenting and placing their trust in Jesus. But everyone is invited to sing. The families of the earth are commanded to worship Christ, who is Lord over all. And this psalm really is a missionary him about the gospel being for all peoples this is why part of it's ripped from the original song of david and it's pointing ahead to the times of christ when he would say whoever would call on the name of the lord jew or gentile will be saved and so romans 10 says everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved but how will they hear without a preacher And the answer is, they will not. Unless the church is ascribing to the Lord the glory due his name as a way of life. Unless we're living in the fear of God and unless we are singing and declaring him according to the greatness of his name and the glory that is due him, then the world will remain dead in their sin. Strangers to the life of God and missing peace with God in the news of Christ's coming instead of it being full of joy and deliverance and salvation will only mark wrath and judgment and so last we're called to declare his gospel in his reign so the psalms full these actions ascribe to the Lord glory and strength sing to the Lord a new song and declare his gospel in his reign verse 3 Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Say among the nations, verse 10, the Lord reigns, his world is established. It will never be removed. He will come and judge the peoples with equity. Paul talked about being a debtor to all men. And that's all of us who have the gospel of free grace, are debtors to those without it. To say, the Lord reigns. God has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness and he has furnished proof of this by raising him from the dead. The judge of all the earth is alive and he is coming to judge the world in his righteousness. He will establish his reign and all who hated him and who were incensed at him will be put to shame. So now there is opportunity to anybody who can hear our voice, to hear the gospel of who God is and what he's done for us in Christ and to call them by the grace of God to turn from their sin and place their trust in the crucified and risen Christ. And if they do, they will be saved and given a song to sing. They will then turn to ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. They will sing to him a new song and they will be given opportunity to declare among the nations the reign of the Lord. And this is God's design from the beginning. We were once dead in our sin, but somebody came to us and declared to us, the Lord reigns and we heard the gospel and we turned and we believed on it. And this is his design for us as a church. You can see how this progression, you have to begin with seeing God as he is and ascribing to him glory and strength, or you will travel through life, your life happening to you, limping along with lukewarm worship, mainly discouraged and glad that at last he will reign on the earth, instead of worshiping him with fear and with trembling with faith that believes that He is and He's a rewarder of those who seek Him and in the overflow of joy in Him because His words abiding in us so that our joy could be full. We've got a song to sing and the declaration of the gospel instead of it feeling being something that we constantly feel bad about not doing enough is the overflow of joy because we know Him because we want to see His glory cover the earth like water covers the seas and we know that when we proclaim the power that gospel it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe and that any who hear it and believe on it will have everlasting life. The word David uses for declare is the verb form for the word book which is interesting. He's talking about scribing this out but I think the meaning of it is to make it known, right? We will write it down, make it known, declare it, proclaim it every way that you can. Write about it, publish blogs about it, put it in your Facebook posts, put it in your Instagram posts, tell your neighbors about it. Look for opportunities at work. Look for opportunities to turn conversations to what God is showing you in his word. Look for opportunities with your neighbors to talk about them when you rise up, when you lay down, talk about them with your family, enter into family worship. Everywhere, every chance that you get, Write it down, proclaim it, and make it known that Jesus reigns. Tell of his marvelous works that he has done for us in his gospel. And as we do, may we be a prayerful people. This is not, I'm done. You guys can come up, Eric and David. Um. I've been thinking about this a lot in my own life. Thinking about the last message that I preached here, talking about us praying together. The Lord Jesus saying to us that we always ought to pray and not lose heart. And I've also thought about us not praying and losing heart. (laughs) And to think about coming before him and ascribing to him the glory due his name so that when he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer, for all the nations. When he says, Seek my face, our response to him is, Your face, O Lord, I will seek. When he says, Pray and don't lose heart, our response is, I'm going to choose to pray instead of losing heart. Let's ascribe to him the glory to his name through obeying what he reveals to us in his word. Let's bring ourselves afresh as a living sacrifice. And let's be full of the joy of the Lord. His joy being our strength. In the midst of great ministry hardships, seeing friends walk away from Christ, in the midst of seeing great suffering and great sorrow, friends going through great trouble, in the midst of work discouragements or other trials that you're going through in life, let's let the joy of the Lord be our strength because he reigns now and forever. He will reign brain. That is our hope and our confidence. So let me pray for us, and we'll take communion together. Father, thank you that you have established your king in Zion. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and one that shall never be removed and we of all people ought to have the most joy because you have brought us in from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved son. And so now you've called us to go out and to declare the excellencies of him who's brought us out of our darkness and into his marvelous light. We thank you, Father, that our joy is not rooted in our circumstances but rooted in Christ and what he's done And who he lives to be for us. We praise you, Father, for your grace and your kindness to us. That even when we were dead in our sin, you made us alive together with Christ. Saved us by grace through faith so that in the coming ages, you might lavish us with your grace and your kindness. I pray that your joy would be in us and that our joy would be full. And that we would be faithful to live before you in the beauty of holy lives, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through abiding in Christ and that we would have a song on our lips, whether we feel like it or not, because Jesus reigns and your salvation is great and we will sing of it from day to day. Help us to be faithful with the gospel that you've entrusted to us. Give us opportunity for it and may we go out with confidence knowing that wherever we could proclaim the gospel there you already reign and you will reign we pray that you would use us to bring many people into your kingdom for the glory of your name in jesus name amen